0: 1st Peter chapter 5 starting at verse 7 says this casting all your care upon him for he cares for you be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour whom resist steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Our message tonight is entitled, The Church in a World Addicted. The Church in a World Addicted. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your grace. Lord, I ask now that you speak through me. Your holy Spirit fill this place in every mind bind the devil and Lord cast him far from here father God your word would be heard with great power and that your word would not come back void this is our prayer in Jesus precious and holy name amen one of my favorite chapters in the Bible and one of my favorite books of course the book of Romans chapter 6 7 and 8 are powerful chapters I was asked Um, why some of the subjects I hit this week I'm touching upon. One of the ones that I hit that I know um, just after being around the campus really struck a chord with many was the one on sex and purity. Let me submit to you that Satan is not playing and what he wants is for us to take what we have learned of God and trivialize it. To think that we can live in sin And somehow still please God it is one of the great lies of Satan that many Christians believe in fact there are Christians who teach and believe that once you're saved you're always saved I want to submit to you that this is a lie from the pits of hell God does not call you uh, out of darkness into light for you to live in darkness he does not save you by the power of his blood From sin through forgiveness and grace, for you to live the rest of your life in sin. The problem many churches have is that the church has become more of a social organization where people gather to have fun and to hang out and to be supported, and it has been less of what it is supposed to be a hospital for sick sinners. Some folk use that as an excuse. Well, if the church is a hospital, it's okay that I'm here sick. But I've worked in many hospitals. The point of the hospital isn't to harbor the sick. It's to cure the sick and send them home whole. And so there's a demonic, diabolic doctrine uh, uh, that you can live however you want and be saved into the kingdom of the living God. Let me tell you something that's not true. And let's let's look at it because we're going to deal with the subject of addiction tonight. And we are once again going to touch some, some, some unpleasant topics. Let's go to Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. Paul, the apostle, is writing and he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Here's where it gets interesting. He says in verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not. For that I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Paul says, listen, and I'm going to show you when we go back to chapter 6. Paul is speaking to the person and as the person still living in the flesh. Still allowing, and when we talked about the frontal lobe on Sabbath, we also talk, you, you, you'll hear Sister White talk about the lower propensities, the animal propensities. What she's speaking about is that the brain, if you come out of the frontal lobe to the lower parts of the brain, those parts of the brain work on, on, on sometimes on like reflex. They just react. They are, they're not, there's no thought in it. Satan wants you to live in the part of the brain that functions like the animal's brains do. He does not want you to develop the kind of frontal lobe that will give you power to reason and victory over sin. Paul says, if I do which I would not, then I consent unto the law that it is good. Then he says something powerful, verse 17. Now then it is no more I that do it, but what? Sin that dwells in me. Paul goes on in verse 18, he says, For I know that in me, this is critical, that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that's what I do. Paul says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. This is why you can't, I said it the other day, I said it, I said it, your body will conspire to kill you. Every lustful demand, every appetite uh, thing that you want, every, every inclination you have, if you allow your body in its cravings to get what it wants, your body will conspire to kill you. I've seen it. Verse 20. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Second time he says that. He says this in verse 21, and this may be where many of us really can sympathize with these words. He says, I find that a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. There are many on this campus raised in a church, and I don't just mean the Adventist church. Jamaica is one of the most Christian places in the world. I don't know if you all realize that. The irony in America is that you go to church, these evangelical churches, and they are talking about sending missionaries to Africa and the Caribbean and Latin America. And let me tell you, I've been to churches in all of those places, and the Christianity in the Caribbean dwarfs the Christianity in the States. It dwarfs it. Well, I, I had a, 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 a hired a, a, a physician assistant to work for me who came from India, and she said the Christians in India, they say it like this. She, they say that in America, Christianity is a million miles wide and one inch deep. I, I'll never forget, I was staying up in in a um, Chantry up in Red Hills with uh, my boy Frankie had a place up there and we were. I, I had to speak. Actually, I was staying at Mr. Ty's house, Mr. Ty had built this building over here. Um, And I was with Dwight Dawkins and we were coming down that hill. I was going to speak at a church in Kingston. I don't remember if it was the Spanish Town Church or which one, I think it was Spanish Town. We're coming down to go there. So it was a little bit of a drive. The rain was pouring like buckets. I mean, I couldn't believe the rain. I was afraid the little car we were in was going to go wash off into the sea. And I was telling him that I, you know, I lived in California at the time. You lived in California with me, and so did Dr. Edwards. I said, if it rained even a sprinkle in California, church is empty. I mean, this, I mean, it's not like the people getting in the rain. They, got, they get into a garage to get in their car to drive to church, and they, they can park right in front of the church and walk into the church. I said, it would be empty. And I said, on a Sunday night, going to church in Spanish Town, I said, there is no way anyone is going to be in church. Man, when we got near that church, there was two men on one bicycle. And the one in the back was holding a piece of plastic over the two of their head. And I said, look at that. And, and, And my boy said, they are going to the church. On a Sunday night, the church was full in the driving rain. Let me tell you something. You have been raised in an environment that is far more biblically astute, far more spiritually aware than much of the world. Let me tell you, young people, especially now that you've been placed here, you are young people who will be without an excuse on judgment day. Look at Romans chapter 7 and verse 22. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Paul says this in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Powerful question and statement. What Paul describes here is the battle every Christian has over sin. And the way, from a medical perspective, to encapsulate this is to look at the two components that will drive compulsive behavior. And there are more than two, but I'll give you two. The first one is how habits are formed. If you understand how habits are formed, and I want you to understand as we'll read, your habits come together, coalesce together to create character. Character. What the devil can get you to do habitually, he can get you to become. Now, this is why the other night I spoke on a subject that in many churches, I don't know about in Jamaica, but in America, people don't talk about pornography. They don't talk about masturbation. They don't want to talk about these subjects in fact they're too hot of a subject for people to talk about but i submit to you that unless you allow the blood of christ and the holy spirit to free you from those habits and addictions you will remain in the chains of sin and remaining in those chains will cause you to be lost so how are habits formed well you have the first thing here you have the frontal cortex we talked about the other day the striatum which is dopamine rich The substantia nigra, which feeds the frontal cortex and the striatum along the dopaminergic pathways. The frontal cortex, again, is that decision-making part of the brain. If the cortex thinks about doing something, the striatum can enable it, making it reflex or stop it. So how does this happen? So we got a little bit of a science lesson here. I think this is fascinating stuff. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So we know that in the basal ganglia of the brain is where emotions are held, where patterns are recognized, where memories are stored. In the prefrontal cortex, this is where decisions are made. This is why we talked about this being like the most holy part of the heavenly sanctuary. Uh, This is the most holy part of like the sanctuary because this is where the spirit of God sits. This is where you choose God or you choose the world. This is why it must be protected, because if it's not protected, you lose the clarity to choose. The in, being intoxicated with chemicals or the world will cause you to be uh, not have the kind of sharp mind you need to choose Christ. Now watch this. God designed us so that we would form habits. So when you hear this, the brother over here playing the keyboards or playing the bass, or, or you hear someone typing fast on a keyboard... God designed us so that the more you do something, the easier it is to do. He designed that. Maybe that was something that had to kick in after sin. I don't know. But we're designed that we can learn tasks and we can learn them so well by practicing them that eventually the task becomes reflexive or automatic. Right? If you watch. The really good piano players like our brother over here, the keyboardist, you'll notice that they don't look at the keyboard after a while. They can just play. They're focusing on other things. God designed you so that you can create uh, the kind of behaviors that allows you to do higher functioning things while you are ignoring yet, uh, uh, um, yet um, um, performing things that are needed. Now watch this. So that's why you ha- why habits are formed in the first place. We know that all of these actions was passed down the nerve cell, the dendrite receives the messages, accents send the message to the next cell, the space between the cell is called the synapse. I'll show you that in a second. The neurotransmitter responsible for memory and habit formation in many ways is acetylcholine. ACH is, it's abbreviated here. It jumps across that space. And every time you do that action, the acetylcholine jumps and it reinforces that action. So when you come home from, you know, when you're living at home and you come home from school and you plop down on the couch and you turn on the TV, there's a pathway in the brain that acetylcholine remembers that that's what you did so that it's easier for you to do it tomorrow. If you come home from school and you sit at the piano and you begin to practice, your brain then begins to make it easier for that to be what you do. If you come home from school and you pick up your cell phone and you begin to look at uh, pornographic images, that's what your brain will make easier to do. I hope you're getting it. This is why Paul speaks about the flesh. It is not just the flesh in an in a, in a, in a allegorical context. It is literally the way your body is formed, particularly the neuroanatomy of your brain. Now, Watch this. After you do something enough, you, you start to add to that pathway something called boutons, which in the French is French for buttons. Um, I forget where we were and somebody corrected me for pronouncing it wrong, but boutons is the way I say it which is French for buttons. So your body, over time, you keep doing it, and the repetition, don't miss this, young people, the repetition of doing the same thing over and over again, like digs a channel in the brain, making it super easy to do that thing. Young men, if you let your eyes wander onto women, you develop a habit of doing it, You can, when you get to the point where you are saved and want to be sanctified, your mind will still want to revert to that behavior. Huh. And you, mo- Most of you are not parents yet, but let me tell you something. This is why you have to train up a child in the way that they should go because you want to avoid your children developing these patterns in their mind that will later come back to haunt them when they're trying to be Christian or married, as we talked about before. So let me give you a picture to show you what I mean here. You can see the dendrites, the cell body. You see the axon. You see the boutons. You see, so your body begins to add it. I'm going to show you on an electro... microscope here you can see the mountains this is actually what they look like you can see that where it says it there it means that what your body begins to do is create more sacks full of acetylcholine the neurotransmitter so that when you want to do that behavior it's even easier to do I don't think you get the depth of what I'm saying this is why the seventh-day Adventist lifestyle in totality is such a critical thing the idea that we keep the Sabbath The idea that we have a health message, the idea that we teach purity, sexual purity before you're married. All of these things are that we don't watch everything. We don't listen to every kind of music. The reason it seems restrictive is because the very message of the Adventist church, the remnant church for these last days, is a message that protects the frontal lobe. A message that keeps you from forming these bad habits. I know, it seems hard, it seems ridiculous, but here's, here's this. The ritual of the habit, of the ritual of the habitual. Habits move behavior from the frontal lobe and the conscious mind to the lower parts of the brain and the subconscious mind. Did you get that? So what eventually happens is the Bible says, come let us reason together. When you form a bad habit, you lose the ability to reason over the thing. I remember having people, I used to teach the nicotine um, uh, um, uh, classes at the veterans hospital the stop smoking classes. And I would have veterans who would tell me that they could pull a cigarette out of their pocket, because they kept them in a pocket here, pull a cigarette out of their pocket, have it lit, and be smoking it, and sometimes they wouldn't even remember when they took the cigarette out of their pocket. It was such a habit. And what I want to submit to you is Satan peers... Bad habits with addictive behavior. So the habit of taking a cigarette out and putting it in your mouth is paired with the fact, as I'm going to show you in a minute, that nicotine releases dopamine, which causes you to become addicted. Here's what the Spirit of Prophecy says. She says, it is by a repetition of acts that habits are established and character what? Confirmed. Hope you're getting this. Let me give you an example. I have a whole bunch of these, but I'm only going to show you the general one. What happens is... You have a a cue, right? And the cue may be that you're bored. When you're bored, you find something to do. You may be bored and you decide to go for a walk. You go for a walk, you release endorphins in your brain, you feel better, you get the reward. Next time you have that same craving, you start back over. You could have the same boredom and instead you turn on Netflix and start watching some show. That show eases your boredom, you get the reward, and the next time you drive that craving. What I want to submit to you is that the devil wants you to have the wrong cue and the wrong routine, more importantly. He wants to get you to where what you do to make yourself feel better is antithetical to what God would want you to do. Now watch this. Here's what the Spirit of Prophecy says. Habits may be modified but seldom changed. What the child sees and hears is drawing deep lines upon the tender mind. You know why that's so deep? She wrote this over a hundred years ago, and it is now that neuroanatomy and neurophysiology has confirmed that literally through those boutons, it's as if a deep line is being drawn. You saw the changes on on the electron microscope. Deep lines are being drawn upon the tender mind, which no after circumstances in life can entirely efface. The intellect is now taking shape and the affections receiving direction and strength. Repeated acts in a given course become habits. These may be modified by severe training in afterlife, but are seldom changed. She says, once formed, habits become more and more firmly impressed upon the character. The intellect is continually receiving its mold from opportunities and advantages, ill or well improved. Day by day, we form characters which place the students as well-disciplined soldiers under the banner of Prince Emmanuel or rebels under the banner of the Prince of Darkness. This is the question for every student at NCU. Which shall it be? Will you be a properly prepared soldier under the banner of Prince Emmanuel or will you be under the banner of the Prince of Darkness? How has the devil really worked to do this? And I'm going to give you some examples. You see, we now live in a world addicted. One of the things that's happened in the United States over the last few years that has been mind-blowing and changing everything is the rapid legalization of marijuana. You can see the darker states there, our state Connecticut was not going to, I don't think they were ever going to legalize marijuana for recreational use until the states of New York and first Massachusetts did it, then New York did it, because it's such a tiny little state up there in the top uh, right corner of the the picture there, the state of Connecticut decided to do it. it. Almost immediately we began to see a change. In Massachusetts and New York now, especially in Massachusetts where it's been around longer, they have these giant dispensaries where legalized marijuana is sold, where they genetically modify the cannabis plant to make it more potent. Now, Rolling Stones magazine had this article. It's called The United States of Weed. This this has become so terrible. I, I won't bore you with the timeline of how they did it. This has become so terrible that I am... There are new diseases that we, um, that we are actually having to treat in clinic because of the legalization of marijuana. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. But we have watched this thing. It became a popular thing. And I want to submit to you. Let me say this clearly. Because growing up to Jamaican parents, one of the stereotypes about Jamaicans in America is that all Jamaicans smoke marijuana. The irony is I grew up at church, so like basically nobody I knew smoked marijuana. But that was the stereotype. And I want to warn you that Satan is going to use the, and I'm going to say this, I pray, whoever, even in the radio land and TV, hear this. Satan has placed marijuana as a way to corrupt and destroy the minds, especially of young people, but anyone who indulges in it. It has been a long flowing uh, process. Thing for him to do so at first they had this marijuana propaganda marijuana the assassin of youth reefer madness and um all of the stuff they said about marijuana how terrible marijuana was so at first they said marijuana is bad marijuana is a class one uh, drug in the united states they couldn't even do research on marijuana but something changed satan is able to change the perspective of things and he uses culture often to do it now one of the best people that promoted marijuana was Bob Marley. And you can see the lyrics is, I got to have Kaya now, right? He said, For the rain is falling. He said, I'm so high, I even touch the sky above the falling rain. I mean, and you gotta remember the white people in America hear this and they're like, Whoa, oh, I want that experience. Peter Tosh, decades ago, before anybody started, he already was singing the song, Legalize It. Profound, right? All that time ago, these things are doing it. And then, I mean, he had the whole thing with doctors smoking, nurses smoking, judges smoking. It's almost like he was putting a curse on the Western world. Because now what he said is actually true. It wasn't true back then. But it goes even deeper than just Jamaican reggae. This is Bob, Mar- uh, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan is the one who got the Beatles to begin to smoke marijuana. Isn't that crazy? And then the Beatles... In their occultism and so forth they got deep into drugs and they made songs like Lucy in the sky with diamonds which is for LSD which is making a comeback this push that everyone should always be happy one of the lies the devil is telling the world is that you should always be happy and so in America everyone is trying to self-medicate they want to be high they want to be drunk so the devil, how does he make this thing so popular? He put it in the movies. I won't go through all the movies. Dave Chappelle, Cheech and Chong, all these kind of movies. Dr. Dre, after he made with NWA a song, he said he don't smoke weed. Then he made a whole song about, a whole album about smoking weed. One called The Chronic, right? And what did this do? I want to show you that the devil can program society to change. Pew Research, after this stuff came out, came out and said marijuana in use increased over the last decade, from the time these songs and movies started to come out, they started to see the rise. Marijuana use has drastically increased in the United States. Now, let me show you. 30% is for medical issues. 47% use it just for fun. Now, if I, if I had time and I, we were in class, I would actually show you that the medical research on the medical use of marijuana is beginning to show it does, is nowhere near as effective as they say it is. Partly because the THC, the part that they're driving, the tetrahydrocannabinol, that part of it actually is a, a substance that can actually change and mess up the brain. It is not healing. But they've done this before. In America, they, when they wanted everybody to eat sugar, they made advertisements saying how sugar is good for you. Did you all ever see this? Sugar can improve your willpower. One of the craziest ones was when they made, a, they made, a, where they made um, these commercials, I have a whole bunch of these, where they had the little baby drinking 7-Up. Now, you're not supposed to have a baby drink soda. Um, the, 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 oh, all of them went out. <laughs> you're not supposed to have a baby drinking soda, but they have one where the baby's even drinking soda. And I'm, I pray that this thing come back on because I want you guys to see this one. Does she show you how the devil does what he does? Thank you, Jesus. Here's what happens. The one on the left is your normal brain. The one in the middle is a cocaine user. The one on the right is a sugar user. So the devil, he will, he will start off with these pictures of babies drinking 7-Up to get you to where he has you using a substance that damages the brain. He did it with cigarettes, right? This is a, a doctor holding up cigarettes and they promoting it. They had ones where the little babies were promoting it for their parents' cigarettes. And yet cigarettes have gone on to kill hundreds of thousands of people. The question is, is marijuana really harmful? I want to show you this. This is how addiction actually happens. So if you look on the left, when you eat food, God designed this so that when you eat and certain other activities, naturally you produce dopamine. The one on the right is cocaine being released. You see that? So this is why when someone does cocaine, they will literally stop eating because cocaine is so much more pleasurable. The way that we naturally produce the most dopamine is sex. And that's why the devil will try and trap you in sex, get you addicted to sex. If you don't follow God's plan for it, it will become addictive. And what happens, you can see what the cocaine does. There's an addiction pathway that people follow. This is what nicotine does. You can see when you smoke it, the dopamine is released. One of the things that's interesting, I was talking to someone here and they're telling me that when they sell some of the marijuana in Jamaica, they actually mix the marijuana with tobacco. What they don't, what you don't have to realize is that creates an, uh, an addiction loop, because of the way marijuana is processed in the brain. Let me jump, um, jump to that. The way marijuana is processed in the brain. This slide shows it. Marijuana doesn't work on the back end of the of the synapse like other ones does. It, on the front end, it works on the receptors on the back end. Marijuana does not cause you to release necessarily a ton of dopamine it makes the receptors different so that you are more high from the same amount of dopamine. What that does is it creates a disease marijuana users get called amotivational syndrome. A motivational syndrome, in other words, the use of marijuana will cause you to lose your ambition. Powerful. It changes the way you experience pleasure. So it will take away ambition. The problem is when it does that, because the receptors are more sensitive, if you try cocaine, you're far more likely to become addicted. This is what makes marijuana a gateway drug. Now, here's what's dangerous about what I was told they do with the marijuana in Jamaica. If you mix marijuana with tobacco, tobacco's nicotine is one of the strongest dopaminergic addictive substances we have in the world. That's why cigarettes sell so well. You mix the two things together in one uh, joint. You have the one working on the backside of the the synapse and one working on the front so that it makes it even almost impossible to give up that substance. This is what is being used here. These slides are the ones that talk about the fact that there's there's a lack of evidence for all of this medical marijuana stuff that they're saying. But here's what I want you to see. This is, a, this is from NBC News in the United States. Marijuana is linked to mental health risks in young adults, growing evidence shows. New research involving millions of people worldwide over decades adds to worries that heavy use of high potency cannabis could uh, exacerbate the mental health crisis in the United States. I talked about the mental health crisis today. So what happens here? You see all the rappers, this Snoop Dogg, Method Man, Red Man all make these songs about marijuana. So look at this. Marijuana use and addiction are most pronounced in America's young people. And it sends a lot of young people to rehab. What they tell the young people in America is that marijuana is not addicting. It may not be as addicting as heroin or cocaine, but it is the number one reason young people now are going into rehab. Look at this. Chronic marijuana use and higher dosages are found to correlate to greater incidence of psychosis and what? schizophrenia i hope you guys get this tonight i know this is not a normal sermon but i'm giving this sermon because there are people listening and people here who need to know that when you mess with marijuana you literally flip a switch in your brain that will can land you in the insane asylum and i've seen patients like this i've seen patients flip out I've had to take down a patient at a community college when I was at Loma Linda working in one of the student health clinics off campus and this kid smoked, smoked some weed and I don't know if it was laced with something but he went bonkers on campus and we had to hold him down for the police to come. There's a story of uh, when they legalized marijuana in Colorado. They, they, would, they sold a boy um, a, a marijuana brownie about this size and when he bought it from the dispensary they told him you should only eat one-fourth of it at a time. And because he was from someplace in the Midwest where it wasn't legal, he ate it. And when you eat the marijuana, the edibles, which somebody offered us edibles on the beach in the grill, so it's it's reached this island, he ate one-fourth of the marijuana brownie and nothing happened. It takes longer for it to kick in. So what do you think he did, even though the man told him not to eat it all at once? He ate the entire brownie. When it kicked in, he had an acute psychotic break... And this boy jumped out of the window of the hotel to his death. They tell you it's not dangerous. But I don't know if you've ever met someone with schizophrenia. Schizophrenia. Paranoid schizophrenia is one of the most frightful things that you could come down with. The reason we're so worried about it in the States is that it has gone, the THC content has gone from 3% to up over 30% in the marijuana now. They're genetically engineering it because before, when black and brown kids were getting locked up for selling weed on the corner, they put them away for years. Today, big corporations have moved in, most of whom are not owned by black or brown people. They've moved in and they've taken over and they have decided to make it potent. And one of the interesting things is many of these dispensaries are left in the lower income neighborhoods. Now watch this. This, one's, this is from the Centers for Disease Control. Mental health. Marijuana use, especially frequently, daily or nearly daily, and in high doses, can cause disorientation and sometimes unpleasant thoughts or feelings of anxiety and paranoia. This is now in the United States, they're starting to worry because they find marijuana causes car accidents. or or increases, I should say, the occurrence of car accidents because of how it messes with spatial time perceptions. It decreases memory. If you want to do good in school, one of the worst things you could do is smoke marijuana. It actually suppresses the immune system. I'll come back to that in a second. And it blocks a chemical in the brain called GABA. GABA is the chemical in your brain that God gave us. It is an inhibitory chemical that helps us to actually um, behave in a sense, to, to be mannerly, to be sensible. What happens is it's blocked it. Now, let me let you in on something deep. Dr. Neil Nedley, out of Weimar Institute on the West Coast in the United States, and I were talking, what he found is that if you look at it, and this is a raging debate online, part of the reason we believe their mass shootings are happening in the United States the way they are is because of the use of marijuana in high dose. His What he says is that, Alcohol will make you depressed, suicidal, and and sometimes homicidal. He says, marijuana is different. In high doses, when you smoke it a lot, it makes you nihilistic. Meaning that you want to kill people you don't know. Alcohol makes you want to kill people you do know weed will make you kill people you don't know i worked with the bloods and the crips you guys heard of the bloods and the crips the gangs on the west coast in california when i worked in pasadena one of the best things that happened in the health department was that we worked with the bloods and the crips what was interesting our seven-day adventist church the altadena seven-day adventist church our gymnasium was the only place that the bloods and the crips would come together and play basketball it was neutral ground we even had bible studies with some of those young men took some of them to oakwood one of the sunday churches worked with that group as well and some of the men became deacons and Saved, you know, I mean, brought out of that world and saved um, uh, into knowing Christ Jesus. I remember asking one of them once, out of curiosity, working with these former gangbangers, I said, How is it that you can do a drive by shooting? How do you just drive by a house? You don't know who's in the house. How do you shoot them? Because by now I realized many of them had been raised in homes with Christian grandmothers and so on. How do you just shoot up a house? You know what they said? Alcohol and weed. You drink and smoke, you drink a 40, smoke a blunt, and you go and do it. The devil wants to chemically manipulate your mind, reduce your GABA, so that your frontal lobe, the temple of your body, the most holy place of the temple of your body, is not able to receive the Shekinah glory, the Holy Spirit of God when you get high on this stuff like i told you about sex you sleeping around with all these people that's how if you study the occult one of the ways they pass demons from one person to the other is sleeping around the other way that you can open up your mind to demonic spirits is by smoking weed and drinking alcohol one of the reasons when you go to a liquor store they say spirits sold here when you do that you take down your defenses and the enemy can take control Watch this. The, I, I talked about the fact that it, it decreases the immune system. Smoking marijuana may increase uh, may increase risk of breakthrough COVID-19 infection. The study shows. That's because it lowers your immune system. It can increase the risk of cancer, even. Uh, NIH studies suggest using cannabis while trying to conceive may reduce pregnancy chances. So they're doing all these studies. This one is a studies on marijuana and alcohol together, which I won't get into. But I will tell you that when you mix the two together, it come, you get even worse off. And in America, I don't know about here, most people are drinking alcohol and smoking marijuana at the same time. And we have the danger of the vaporized. They can concentrate it. One of the ones I find interesting is this one. Marijuana is now linked even to heart disease. And even later in life, you start smoking early, cognitive effects in midlife of long-term cannabis use. We're finding that this thing has become a multi-billion dollar um, operation that is used now to make money. And if you're not careful, you'll get caught up in it. One of the things I learned working with addicts is the statement that is on the, on, the, on the screen. I heard one of the drug addicts coming out of recovery, he was a Vietnam veteran, when I worked at the VA hospital and they would sit in their groups when they would have the group therapy for the, for the uh, recovering addicts. And they chanted and they said, God made the human heart so big, only he can fill it. Let me tell you something, if you try to fill the God-sized hole in your heart with marijuana, with alcohol, with pornography, with illicit, uh, promiscuous sex, whatever it is, you will never fill the God-sized hole in your heart. You'll always need more and you'll become a slave to that thing. The challenge then is this. if Romans chapter 7 says, the good I would, I do not. How am I supposed to gain victory? The irony is that Paul had addressed that in Romans chapter 6. He says, knowing this, that our old man is what? Crucified with him. That the body of sin might be what? Destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also do what? Live with him. How do you gain victory over bad habits and addictions? Somebody asked me that already on this campus. They're struggling with some of the sexual things that we talked about the other night. How do we gain victory? Let me tell you something. The first thing is you must die to self. The second thing is you have to stop feeding the flesh. You can't listen to the music that is common on the radios in this country. You can't listen to them talk about women the way they do, sexualizing women. You can't talk about that and think at the same time you're going to gain victory over sexual sin. You've got to stop feeding the flesh. You've got to make sure that only pure things are what you think about. If you don't do that, the devil will get a chokehold on you. You can't just watch any television show now. Even the sex scenes on the TV, I, I think I showed that this research, even the regular sex scenes on the TV is enough to increase the chances that a child will begin early sex when they're 12 years old and they start watching that stuff. It impacts the brain. By beholding, you become changed. You want victory over sin? Stop, stop, stop feeding the flesh with the devil's Propaganda. third thing you want to gain victory over sin stop focusing on your sin what the devil wants you to do is constantly think about how messed up you are and all the mistakes you make he wants you to constantly think about your past and i want to i want to tell you this every time the devil reminds you of your past i want you to remind him of his future That's why I love prophecy because prophecy tells me that there is going to be a lake of fire and the devil is going to be the last one tossed in and I am going to be looking over the walls of the new Jerusalem and I'm going to be jumping up and down. Burn, baby, burn. Stop feeding the flesh. But here's the last one. You've got to turn your eyes to Jesus. The secret to gaining victory over sin isn't to gain the willpower to beat the sin. You've got to create new lines in your brain. You've got to create new habits in your brain. Instead of looking at the pornography, instead of listening to that that, that terrible music, you open up the word of God and you study the scriptures. Instead of of, um, uh, listening to that music, you have good hymns and good Bible songs that you're listening to. You begin to change that thing. You get into a good group. You get an accountability partner. Somebody ought to say amen. If you're struggling with sexual sin, you might even need to get into therapy or counseling because many times you can trace it back to abuse or trauma. I'm telling you that when it comes to victory over sin, it is, you've got to put yourself in a position where God can free you. When you look into Jesus, the things of this world, they grow strangely dim. Here's what the, the, the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary, I, I, I advise anyone who, who puts together sermons, make sure you have this, the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary says this about uh, the term we shall also live. It says, this does not refer primarily to the future life in glory, though this is implied. Look at what the, the SDA Bible the writers from the 1950s through the 70s wrote. Paul is emphasizing that the death which delivers from the bondage of sin Is followed by a new life of Liberty that is no longer under the dominion of sin but is devoted to the service of a new master Paul is particularly particularly referring to the newness of life to be enjoyed by the Christian here on this earth the life of Christ in the believer and the life of the believer in Christ ah you want victory over sin get in Christ You die to self and allow him to live in you. How does he live in you? Because he's who you're focused on. He's who your conversation goes to. He's who you're reading about. He's who you're studying. He's who you're singing your praises to. Romans 6 and verse 9 says this, Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died, once to, unto, died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he lives unto God. Likewise, here's what Paul is saying to us, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Don't tell me you can be a Christian and live in sin at the same time. You can't be a former cocaine user and still using cocaine. You can't be formally same-sex uh, in same-sex relationships and say God gave me victory over it but you're still in that stuff either you gain the victory or you don't and it's not that you won't make mistakes not that you won't stumble but the trajectory of your life the development of your character will always be away from the old man and to being more like Christ likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 12 is powerful. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. And so you you have been called by God, I have been called by God. We have been called by God to not allow lust to reign in our mortal bodies. One of the most interesting things that happened while I was at that Veteran's Hospital, I was doing my addiction medicine rotation, and I went to the VA at Loma Linda, and I was a new, recent graduate from medical school, maybe a year and a half out, and I was taking care of patients, and a white gentleman walked in to the, to the exam room where I was taking care of doing, the, doing exams and intake for the patients coming into the addiction treatment unit at the Veteran's Hospital. He was in his early 40s, he had piercing blue eyes, his hair was blondy and, and getting gray all at the same time. He Sat down in the chair and he looked at me and he said, doctor, I said my name. And then he said, doctor, I want to die. I said, what do you mean you want to die? I said, why would you come to the hospital if you want to die? He said, well, I thought I had a better chance of dying here than somewhere else. I said, what do you mean? I said, why do you want to die? He said, two years ago, my mother died. A year ago, my father died. He said, Doc, two weeks ago, my dog died. I have no one or nothing. I just want to die. I said, why did you come to the hospital if you want to die? He told me the story that he was on the I-10 freeway. He was driving out from the San Bernardino area in Southern California, out towards Palm Springs. He was high as a kite on crystal meth and alcohol. And in the trunk of his car, he had all of the trappings to create a crystal meth lab. He was swerving on the highway. It was so high and out of his mind, somebody, uh, called the police, or the police saw him and pulled him over. And when they saw how high he was, they took him out of the car, put him in handcuffs, and searched the car. When they searched the car, the California state troopers found all of the stuff in the back to create a crystal meth lab, which changed this arrest from a simple driving under the influence to one where he was manufacturing and distributing drugs. This man was taken put in a county jail, and a day came when he had to stand before the judge. And when he got in front of the judge, God worked it out for him that the judge was also a veteran of war. So when the judge saw him, the judge said, listen, because you served the United States of America admirably in Vietnam, he said, listen, this is what we're going to do. He said, you have two options. Either you can go to prison for a long time for the charges against you, Or you can go to the veterans hospital and be rehabilitated. The man looked at me after he told me all that and he said, Listen, I chose to come to the veterans hospital because I thought it'd be easier for me to die here than in prison. I just want to die. And I sat there, Pastor, I sat there and I said, Lord, what am I supposed to say to a man this intent on dying? And God. Put the words in my mouth I I looked at him and I asked him this question I said sir do you know the Lord Jesus that's what came out of my mouth you know what the man said he said yes he said is he is the Christ the son of the living God that was his answer to me I said sir if you know that this is where it gets important here I said sir if you know that why do you want to die he said Doc, I have done too much wrong for Jesus to ever accept me. That man began to tell me his life story, how he lived in bisexuality. He was molested when he was a child, how he got into drugs at an early age to numb the pain of the abuse he had suffered. How by the time he went, to, he was, went to, off to war and was in the battlefield, how his addiction shot up, he went to the war married to a woman, and while he was away at war, she was cheating on him with one of his best friends. And this man was, he, he was looking at me at this point, and he was looking at over his life and all of the trouble he had. The woman cheated on him and took half the money while he was fighting. And he looked at me with a smirk on his face as if to say, see, because I mean, he began to tell me all of his sexual trounces, all of the filth he'd done, all the ways he got high, all the drugs he had sold. He began to give me a laundry list of his sin. And I think what he was expecting was to reach a point in the conversation where I agreed with him and said, listen, uh, you did too much. But instead... I took the government issued paper off the wall and I began to write out, I didn't have a glow track, I began to write out the plan of salvation. And I started in heaven and I talked about Revelation 12 and the war in heaven and I brought him all the way to the Garden of Eden and I brought him all the way to Bethlehem and I brought him through the sinless life of Christ and I got him all the way to Calvary and I said, sir, this spotless lamb of God He came to earth not to save just everybody. He came to earth to save you. I said, if you are the only one on earth, Jesus would have come and died just for you. Church, the man began to cry. Tears welled up in his eye. He said, you mean Jesus would have died just for me? I said, absolutely. He said, how do you know? I said, sir, I can prove it. I said, he saved a wretch like me. He and I fell on the floor of the veterans hospital and and on the floor of the hospital, he weeping, sobbing, confessing his sin. He gave his life to Jesus Christ right there on the ground of the veterans hospital. I saw that man one week later. He comes running down the hallway, the big long hallway in the hospital. He comes running of the hospital. Brother doctor, brother doctor. And he throws his arms around me and he hugs me and he says, he says, listen, I got to tell you something. Since we prayed and met last week, he says, I have not had not even the slightest desire for drugs or alcohol. He said, he said, doc, I've been set free. I said, How's everything else going? Because, you know, you got to get housing. He said, the only problem I have, Doc, is that they keep kicking me out of the Narcotics Anonymous and the Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. I said, why are they kicking you out of the meetings? He said, they tell me that I'm calling on the name of Jesus too much in the meetings. Let me tell you something. Young people, I know it may seem like there's no way you can change. You may think that you are stuck and trapped in whatever it is you're in. I came to tell you that there is no greater liberator in all of the universe than the Lord Jesus Christ. I came to tell you that you are not a slave to sin, but you can break the bondage of sin and be set free and live in Christ Jesus. You can gain victory over sin. You can have a new life. You can give up what's behind you and you can walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. If you're willing to submit turn it over to him as my wife sings you want to accept this free gift that Christ gives you want to accept the victory he gives i want you to just stand where you are and we'll pray this media was brought to you by audioverse a website dedicated to spreading god's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about audioverse